Open your Bibles with me to First Thessalonians, sorry, Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Having come through establishing the church constitution, our statement of faith, who we are, really the next logical step was building on our foundation, which is the Word of God. And one of my... <clears throat> Oh, pet peeves. I think I think it's deeper than that. One of my great concerns, I mentioned this, I believe, last Sunday night, that as I have the opportunity to preach in different places, if there are young preachers there, they'll ask me, where did I learn to handle the Scriptures? And, and I'll show them some things. And they're often upset that they weren't taught this in school. Man, I, I can't fix the colleges, but my desire for you is that you can know the Bible better than me. That's that's the goal, amen. And it's not a it's not a matter of how good your memory is, um, how many years of school you've had, and of course we're for education at Grace Baptist, amen. But obviously, um, and we understand that that. People certainly do have different intellectual capacities. That's not what Bible study is about. Bible study is about hearing from God. Because with the way that the world is going, I don't know how much longer we're going to get to meet together. It's crazy how quickly our Constitution is going away. It's crazy how quickly rights are being removed and Churches are being burned and closed and people are moving away from the Word of God. One of the biggest um, battles that I fight really every week of my life in, in situations outside of Grace Baptist is just guys moving away from the Scriptures, trying to find some other authority than the Bible that they hold in their hands. I want you to trust the Bible that you have. And so... Starting last Sunday night, continuing this morning, if you remember a while back, we went through nine principles of, of how to read the Bible that James Knox gave us. We're going to continue with that, but I'm going to flesh it out. We're going to, we're going to spend a little bit more time here. So this is the third one. We, we began this last Sunday night. Read the Bible as, as it is in truth, the Word of God. So look with me at 1 Thessalonians 2.13. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Did I say 2 Thessalonians? Sorry. Wouldn't you all think that after, I don't know, about 28 years of preaching, I would know the difference between 1 and 2? I never get that right. All right, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this cause also, thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye, what's it say right there? Heard of us. You received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that, what's that last word? Believe. So there's two aspects to this passage. Number one, if you're going to read the Bible, read it as it is in truth, the word of God. And then when you hear it preached, whether myself or in a Sunday school class or in a discipleship setting, we bring in a guest speaker, you go somewhere else to hear preaching, you listen to preaching online. If they're preaching the word in its context, 
receive it as it is in truth, the Word of God. The amazing thing about that is, how many of you, you've been under preaching, either listening to it in your car, at work, or in a a preaching service like this, and God speaks to you about something that the preacher's not even preaching on? Has that ever happened to you? God's Word is so powerful. And it's interesting how that doesn't happen in the same way when you're not listening to preaching. And so it's vital that you hear preaching, but also that you read the Bible. And when you read the Bible, read it as it is in truth, the Word of God. Now I want to talk about this for a minute. If you read as a skeptic, it will not help you. You know... Christopher Hitchens, I believe, I I saw say, well, I've read the Bible, I just don't believe it. Well, he didn't read it believingly. And if you don't read it believingly, then it will not have the same effect as it would if you read it believingly. That's just the way that that this works. And now, let's, let's be careful. What we can often do when we see something like this, you say, well, I'm not a skeptic. In, in many ways, we ought to be skeptical. That's called discernment, right? You, you, the, someone said, I think it was Chesterton, that an open mind is for the purpose of closing upon something solid. Otherwise, it becomes like the city sewer rejecting nothing. Right? Hey, um, young people, did you know the word gullible is not in the dictionary? Did you know that? How many of you know the word gullible is in the dictionary? If you don't believe that it's in the dictionary, that's because you're gullible. What does that mean? You'll believe stuff easily. Well, I don't want to believe, I don't want to just immediately believe what someone says about the Bible. I want to check it out and make sure what they're saying is true. But I can't do that with the Bible. See, God gave us some of, God gave some of us a natural skepticism. How many of you, that's you? You kind of have a natural skepticism about the stuff that you hear. Somebody's telling you something, yeah. Uh, Jacob would say, I've got my skepticals on. You're just not buying it. Well, you know what? Honestly, that's part of that gift of the teacher. There's a giftedness that goes along with that. What's the abuse of that giftedness? You don't believe anything. You don't believe anything. How many of you think that's a bad place to be? And so that's kind of where Christopher Hitchens ended up. He read the Bible, but he didn't believe the Bible. If you read it as a skeptic, it will not help you. You ought to be skeptical of everything you read. Listen, except this. If you want God to open it up to you, you have to come to it believing that it's the Word of God. Now, I am in this study going to be dealing with King James issues that need to be dealt with. I'm not doing that this morning. But one of the, one of the key things is, just trust me on this one, we'll, we'll get into more information on it. But if you will start believing these words that you hold in your hand, that they're the Word of God, as it is in truth the Word of God, you'll be amazed at what God does for you. See, if you read this and immediately go somewhere else to find out what it says, then you might not ever really know what it means because who knows whether the person you're going to is right or not. But if you go to another passage of Scripture that deals with the same subject, then you're getting God's mind on it. And 
I, I want to start getting into definitions and lexicons and historiography and all of that, but we're not going to do that today. And God's people said, amen. But if you read it as a skeptic, it will not help you. Believe it. How about this? If you read as a critic, it will not help you. You know, there are people that really think they're more compassionate than God. There are people that think they are more wise than God. There are people that think they are more fair-minded than God is. It's just dumb. He's altogether loving. He's altogether kind. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. That's the God who wrote this book. And if you approach it as a critic, it won't help you. And this is a problem, especially... Now, now some people come... You, you come to it in simple faith. This is the only Bible you've ever known. And you come to it in simple faith. Praise God, you're the ones who learn more than anybody. I promise. You're the ones who will learn more than anybody. But if you come from a different background where, where your preacher has constantly said, well, this verse doesn't really mean that. This word doesn't really mean that. What that meant in the Greek, the way the original hearer would have understood that in their particular language is this... And, and you poor plebeians can't understand that. That's why you've got to pay me. Understand, there's a lot of people. There are people in this room. That's your background of Bible study. That's the way the Bible has been taught to you. And in many institutions, Bible colleges and seminaries, that's the approach that's taken. And so you approach every sermon as a critic. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that's right. And I'm just telling you, somebody will leave a service, God spoke to them, God really helped them, and you leave the sermon saying, well, that wasn't much. Why? It didn't help you. I told our kids when they went to Bible college, one of the things that, that I warned them about, and if you talk to Jacob or Aiden or Justin Yo or any of these people that have been involved in Bible college, Patrick, I'm sure, um, when you have chapel every day, or three days a week, whichever school you go to. And they bring pastors in. They bring pastors of the students that are there in. Um, can I just say this? It's terrible. The state of preaching, it, you, just, you can't imagine how bad it is. Um, and it's not heresy. They're just not saying anything. They're bad speakers. They're badly prepared. Their, their content is the same. You'll, you'll hear the same thing about God's will for your life 30 times in a semester. And these guys think they're being profound. And it, it's just, it, it's mind-numbing. And so what I did was I, I told Jacob, I prepared him for it. Why? Because he always has his skepticals on. And I said, here's what you need to do. Pray that God will give you something in that message. Pray that God will give you something from the text, that God will give you something. Even if the delivery is poor, even if the content is lame, if the Bible is being preached, there's something there that you can get. Amen? Man, sometimes you've got you've to dig pretty hard to find that nugget. <laughs> Aiden, am I right? <laughs> yeah. What's the difference? Discernment as opposed to being a critic. I want our young people to, I asked one time, I went, we went to a pastor's fellowship. Jacob was young, I don't know, 13, 15. We got done, and, and I said, what did you think of the preaching? And he said, well, he just kind of told stories. He didn't really preach the Bible. I, I was glad that he noticed that. 
So we don't want our young people, I don't want you to be a critic, but neither do I want you to think that Lee's chicken is a filet mignon. Amen? Because Lee's Lee's chicken is nasty. How many of you like it? How many of you like it? Y'all are gross. (laughs) Chase, no, no, man. It's bad stuff. So if you read the Bible, now I was talking about preaching there. We want you to be discerning. You can't be a critic of the Bible. You need to accept it. You need to believe it in order to understand it. Um, Then, read it, believe it, and it will change you. Look at Romans chapter 3. All right, Romans chapter 3, let's start in verse 1. What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Now, I want to teach you something here that's really fun. Are you ready for something fun after all of that? This is really cool. Now, you know what IQ is, and the, the baseline for IQ is 100. So that's average. If you have below a 100 IQ then you have a below average. If you're over 100, then you're above average, okay? If you didn't understand what I just said, you're probably below. But um, (laughs) that's our test for today. So so 100. If if you look around the room, the majority of the people in here are going to be right around 100. Does that make sense? I've asked, I don't understand, mean or average, I don't know, but whatever it is, it's around 100. So, the average Ashkenazi Jew, so so 140 is considered a, a genius level. The average Jew is 135. That's the average. So so imagine this: uh, a a Jew with 130, he's the dummy in the room. Think about that. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever wondered why? They run the companies and write the scripts and do the... Have you ever wondered about that? Here's what. They're smarter than you. (laughs) That's why. Okay? You say, you're generalizing. Yes, because it's true. Here's the thing that's amazing. There's a test they do. It's called verbal acuity. It's your ability with language. Do you know what the average is for Ashkenazi's view? Like 155. Isn't that amazing? Brilliant. Brilliant. Why? Because that's the people that God was going to use to write the Bible. How many of you know we have a great God? We have a great God. They really are his chosen people for a specific reason. And again, look at what advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much in much every way, chiefly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. So this is really interesting. Every way that's important. How many of you know there's not a lot of Jews in the Basketball Hall of Fame? (laughs) Isn't that interesting? That means that's not really important. 
So now, look at what it says. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? That's that whole, like, gravity thing. I don't believe in gravity. Do I then float away? No, because somebody doesn't believe, that doesn't make the word of God with none effect. Because if, if Jews don't believe, that doesn't make what God gave them of none effect or what God did in them. So look at what it says in verse 4. God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. So what happens is when you believe the Bible, it will change you and it will help you overcome. It'll help you overcome unbelief. It'll help you in every way. Read it, believe it, and it will change you. The Jews wrote it and they didn't believe it, but if they did believe, it would change them. It would change them. Doubt closes the door of truth. Doubt closes the door of truth. I, I know I, I mentioned this last Sunday night when um, I went to Bible college. I went to Bible college as a believer in the, the, the King James Bible. I was taught the Textus Receptus position, the TR position, and that is that that's where the Bible is and that this is an accurate translation of that right text. But really, my authority became that Greek text. And so I was really studying the Greek text. I wasn't studying the Bible. And I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned this in the service last week, but I, I was going through some of my old sermons. Last, by the way, last Sunday morning sermon, was that a blessing to you if you remember that far, last Sunday morning sermon? That outline, I wrote that outline September 30th, 2001. Isn't that fun? See some of the stuff that we've learned that we still believe, that we still hold to. That's fun. But in looking for that one, I found another one that was heresy. I was teaching the kingdom of God is the same thing as the kingdom of heaven. I was using the same stuff that you'd hear in so many different places. Even though the first time I ever heard about the King James position, the preacher was teaching the difference between the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. Somehow I preached here something completely different than what the Bible says. Don't listen to the preacher, man. Listen to the word of God. Right? And so, remember, I said this last Sunday night, that Dalton Robertson, I, I, I didn't have a cell phone then. I've got a cordless phone walking up and down the hall of, of the building back here. And he said, Jim, what's your authority? What's your authority? You've got to have an authority. And I went to the Lord and I said, God, I do believe that you've given us the word. And I'm just going to study these words. And if it's true, will you, will you open up the word of God to me? And it's like a, a light switch was turned on. And if, if you went back and found the old tapes or whatever and listened to my own preaching and teaching before that and after that, it's not that I all of a sudden became Charles Spurgeon, but my ability to, to communicate the text, it changed. My understanding of the text completely changed. Why? Because doubt closes the door of truth. You, what, then what does faith do? It opens the door of truth. Look at John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 14. Now, about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. Wouldn't it have been awesome to hear that? 
And look at what it says. <clears throat> and the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Man, the scholars never stop. Um, how is this uneducated man actually teaching me something? Isn't that interesting? Um, so Rick Hauk is a professor out at West Coast Baptist College. He was working on some post-grad stuff at Maranatha Baptist College, and he cited Lawrence Vance's book, The Other Side of Calvinism. And the teacher wrote back on his paper, you need to use more scholarly sources. Why did he say that? Because Lawrence Vance doesn't have degrees from accepted seminaries. And yet, the other side of Calvinism, now you're not going to believe this unless you've seen the book. He has read every book ever written on Calvinism. That's called scholarship. He has 300 pages of bibliography and footnotes. The book's this big. I've got it up there. You ought to read it or use it to anchor your boat. It's very large. All right? So why would you say use a more scholarly resource? Number one, because you're an idiot. Number two, because you value the letters and the institution more than the truth. How many of you think they should not have questioned Jesus Christ's authority? Right? Another time, I think it was Justin Yo cited James Knox. And the teacher said, you need to use more scholarly resources. There's two problems with that. Number one, when we say you can't use the work of a Bible-believing pastor, that that's not good enough, then we're really messed up. Amen? It, um, Tim Roth this morning in Sunday school, brought out a point in a question that taught me something that I will now use in teaching. Praise God. That's what God's people do, right? So, so number one, when we say that you, that you can't use just a, a, an average pastor stuff, that that's not good enough, that's a huge problem. Number two, he's got an IQ of 170. He's forgotten more than that Bible college teacher knows. Okay? So on both ends, it's so dumb. But do you see the snobbery in that? So Patrick Kennedy here writes for the most influential Baptist publication there is, the Ancient Baptist Press. No, no, another one, the particular Baptist Press. And so people come to Grace Baptist Church and they see the work that we're doing and they don't understand that we have Lawrence Vance who writes for the journal who's the greatest living scholar on the history of the Bible in the world. The Oxford scholars quote him. Bruce Metzger, the leading Bible critic, cites Lawrence Vance and his works. I mean, that's the guy, right? I mean, he's Patrick on, on church history, one of the key guys in Baptist history, He's the guy that they're calling to do the work, the big names in it. How often do we, seriously, how often do we talk about that stuff here? We preach the Bible. Why? Because the reason we like James Knox is because he holds to the Word of God. The reason we like Lawrence Vance is because he holds to the Word of God. The reason we like Patrick is because he comes to church and tithes. Let's, let's, let's keep reading. Verse 15. 
And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Can I... So he did grow in wisdom and stature, favor with God and man. I'm in just big-time rabbit trails this morning. But it's okay, because I'm having a blast. By the time Jesus Christ grew into the full knowledge of his own deity, he knew everything. So you understand that, that after a certain point, Jesus never learned anything again. Isn't that interesting? So, so think about this. People ask, did Jesus speak Greek if he wanted to? Did, what, what Bible was Jesus quoting? He was quoting himself. He remembered what he had written before because he's the living embodiment of the word of God. He is the word. Amen? So did Jesus know? What was he doing? Where did he get this information? What source did Jesus use to learn about the law? Isn't that fun? What rabbinical school did Jesus go to? He didn't. That's what the passage is saying. Let's read on. Verse 15, And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will, what's that next word? Do his will, he shall know of the doctrine whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Here's the key to learning the Bible. Do what you learn. Listen. Do what you learn. Add to your faith virtue. Right? Second Peter chapter 1. Add to your faith virtue. Add to your faith virtue. What is virtue? Doing what you know to do. That's to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. So once you learn the truth, your job is to do the truth. The reason that some people never get farther in their understanding of doctrine, their understanding of scripture, the reason they never reach a certain level is because they never become obedient to what they learn. You have to believe it and you have to do it. There's only one safe rule for your life. What did God say? I believe it. I believe it. I'm going to do it. And God will begin opening up God's word to you. Not how do I feel about it. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. Whether you're talking about divorce and remarriage, whether you're, whatever it is that you're talking about, sometimes we don't, like, we don't like that. When God says don't do something, we want people to be able to do that. What, how I feel about it doesn't matter. Who I know that's been involved in it. Now, here's the deal. How many sinners do we have in this room? And so then we can get judgmental. So if divorce that's outside of adultery is wrong, according to the word of God, well, then that's wrong. Can I get an amen? That's just what the Bible says, right? How many of you know somebody that that's, loves the Lord that honestly has not been a part of a scriptural divorce? Would you raise your hand? We love those people. How many of you have sinned since you got saved? Any of you? All right, well, then let's come on. Seriously. It's interesting how some things become the unpardonable sin. Right? Why? Because they're not your sin. Man, I, I mentioned this. I talk about this with preachers. It's, I'm always amazed at preachers that can preach against every sin in the world, but they're so fat they can't see their feet. 
right? I got no respect for that guy. Sorry, I don't. Because the Bible talks about that. One of the qualifications for preachers, temperance. You got to have some self-control to be a preacher. So it doesn't matter how I feel about it. It matters what does the Bible say. Not what does society say about it. What do, how many of you think society is getting closer and closer to the Word of God? They are actually getting closer and closer to what the Bible says about society, about the human condition. But what has God said? That, that's vital. That's who we are. That, that's where we have to stay. That's what... If I'm going to study the Bible, and I really want to understand it, number one, I have to read it. Not what somebody says about it. I need to read it. Now, you might be in here and you're saying that reading is a struggle for me. Well, here's what you need to do. You need to prayerfully ask God to help you with that. How many, how many um, teachers do we have in here that, that, that teach people about reading. Would you raise your hand? Hold them up for me. You, you, see, you see these hands? See these hands? If you're struggling to read, don't be embarrassed. We have people that will help you to know how to read. We want, wouldn't that be a blessing? Wouldn't it be, you teachers, how cool would it be for somebody who loves the Lord for you to help them to know God better by helping them to read? <laughs> I just think that would be so good. That would be so fantastic. You see, one of the problems with modern education is they're moving away from a love of reading. It's becoming technical. Rather than having them read great literature, they're having them read technical manuals. How many of you do not enjoy reading technical manuals? Right? The rest of you are really weird. And so it, it's the harm that that's kind of, to, to, now does a young person need to know how to read a technical manual to have a career in this modern world yes i'm all for that but you also need a love of reading and literature and getting lost in a book rather than lost in a screen develop your your imagination your ability to reason your ability to to see through to an end it's fun to figure out the end of a book before you get there and then it's even more fun to find out that the that the author was smarter than you and you didn't figure it out that's man it's just wonderful but so you've got to start with reading and you've got to have a love for reading i don't love to read well god will give you that love if you'll love his word so you've got to read it but you have to read it not as a skeptic, not as a critic. You have to read it believing that what you have, as it is in truth, it's the word of God which effectually worketh in you that believe. If you will believe it and then you will begin practicing it and doing it, you're going to be amazed at how God starts to open up his word to you. And as we go through these tools so you can understand how to put the Bible in its right context and where to plug yourself in, what mail is for you and what mail is for somebody else, when you start learning those things, it's just so fun. But the most important thing is you have to believe it. And you have to believe what it says about you. You have to believe what it says about society. You have to believe it. Amen? Let's all stand together. Lord, we love you. Your word is so precious. Your word is so powerful. Lord, help us. Now, with every head bowed, let me ask you a question. If you died today, are you sure that you'd go to heaven? Are you 100% sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior?
If you're not, would you raise your hand? You're not sure about your eternal salvation. Would you raise your hand? You're not sure. Nobody's looking but me. All right, now how many of you, the rest of you, heads are bowed still. How many of you would say, my my Bible reading, my effort level in Bible study is not where it ought to be? Would you raise your hand? All over. Okay, everybody look up here at me. Um, here's, here's how we fix that. Just start. If, you know what I love? The Bible doesn't tell us how much of it to read a day. Isn't that good? So if you've, not, if you've never really studied the Bible, here's what I'd recommend. Take five minutes in the morning. Start with the Gospel of John and just read a little bit in the Gospel of John. And you say, I didn't understand all of that. Well, reread it. And then read it slowly. And then start to read it out loud to yourself. Follow the punctuation in the verse. And just, just you start to bask in it. In the beginning, when was that? Well, before anything, was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And you start thinking about that, the Word. Then a little bit later, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. What's only begotten? I'm going to look up that begotten. What begotten? What is that? Gotten from the Father. He's full of grace and truth. And then you know what you do? How long did it take to do what I just did? A minute? Two or three minutes? Five minutes? Read chapter one? And then meditate on that through the day. The Word. The Word. That's Jesus. He's God. And there was another guy. His name was John. He wasn't that light. Jesus is the light. But John came to bear witness. What does it mean to bear witness? And let me think about that. I'm going to think about that through the day. Isn't that good? And you just... How many of you, just that, right there, just that little bit that I did, how many of you think that would be profitable for you for a day? See, because here's our problem. We think, so, so a sermon, if I write a sermon, that would be like writing a 10-page paper. How many of you don't want to write a 10-page paper? Be honest. You really don't want to do that. Well, then don't be a preacher, okay? That's not what God's calling you to do. God just says, study. What did I just demonstrate for you how to do? Study. How many of you think that little bit of study that we just discussed would bring glory to God and please Him? You see our problem? We have this idea, I'm going to work out. So I've got to take an hour and a half and get my weights and do all that stuff. And after about five minutes, you're ready to die. And so you never work out again. I'm testifying right now. And so that's the same problem that we have with Bible study. I'm going to understand, learn, and understand the book of Ecclesiastes. That's where I'm starting. I'm going to memorize the book of Leviticus. And so we, we set really bad goals for ourselves on stuff that God never asked us to do. Amen? So here's what I want you to do. Just read it. Even if it's just a little bit, just read some. Meditate on it. Believe it. Believe it. And then whatever you learn, do. That's... 
How many of you think that'd be a good start? Seriously. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer.